The reading this morning is Daniel chapter 12. The very last chapter of Daniel. Beginning in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12, I will read all 13 verses included in this chapter. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand, and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days." How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. As we come to the last sermon in the series through the book of Daniel, if my Count is correct. This is the 14th time that we've been in Daniel, and it'll be the last time, at least the last time I'm in it for a little while. As we come to the last chapter, it's important for us to remember what the apostle tells us when he's writing to the church at Rome, Romans 15, verses 4 through 6, for whatever was written in earlier times, therefore Daniel Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would have been a great thing to say every time that we got together these 14 times to consider Daniel. Daniel was written so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's why God has given us his word, that hope might be instilled into us, that we might persevere all the way to the end, that we might be encouraged as we seek to persevere all the way to the end in the midst of a world that is filled with difficulties and that we might be of the same mind and in one accord. That's what the scriptures are for, that we might unite together, not around that idea or this idea, but around Jesus Christ, that we might with one voice glorify God, our Father, and the Father of Christ. One of the ways that we most benefit from the scriptures, one of the ways that we most benefit from the Old Testament, One of the ways that we benefit from Old Testament prophecy, one of the ways that we benefit from Daniel, is to avoid jumping directly from the biblical text to personal application. Now, that's hard because when we approach the Bible, we immediately are thinking, what does this mean for me? What do I need to do now as a result? And those aren't bad questions, but they're not the best questions to start with. We must do the sometimes difficult work of determining what the text actually means before we seek to apply it to our own lives. And we must also keep in mind what the text meant to the original recipients. We are not the first people to ever read this text. It's probably not even the first time most of us have ever read this text. So we want to avoid jumping immediately into what Daniel 12 says into personal application. But we also want to avoid getting so caught up in the detail of exegesis and and figuring out and explaining exactly what every jot and tittle means, gaining so much understanding with regard to some of the more obscure details of the book that we forget or fail to apply it to ourselves or to the modern hearer. So we want to avoid, be careful to avoid, both of these extremes, one running immediately to practical application or the other getting so caught up in the details that are often obscure in books like Daniel that we aren't able to apply them to ourselves. I think it's helpful if we consider Daniel's perspective like this. Daniel received visions from the Lord and was granted understanding of those visions in order to apply them to his immediate context. And he did so by word of mouth and by recording them. He received visions from God and understanding of those visions from God about near future history, specifically the return and persecution that the exiles would face in their return to Jerusalem. So he received visions and dreams about what was going to happen in the very near future. And he saw this history play out while he was alive. But not only did he receive visions about the short term that happened in the midst of his life, he also received visions 
and less understanding about those visions from future, what we might call midterm history. So think from Daniel's time up until A.D. 70, three decades after Christ died. Daniel receives visions and still less understanding about the end of time. Think from A.D. 70 forward, the, the, and even forward from now, the, the coming of the Antichrist and his ultimate destruction. And we've seen these different concepts play out as we, as we have considered Daniel week after week. So as we approach Daniel, that, that's from Daniel's perspective. That's what's happening in Daniel's life. He's receiving visions about the immediate future that he understands pretty well. He's receiving visions about the short-term history that he doesn't quite understand as much. And he's receiving visions about long-term history that he understands even less. And we can hear him saying things like that. He even alludes to it here in verse 8 in our chapter today. I heard, but I could not understand. And we say, amen, every time Daniel says that. But from our perspective now, as we look at Daniel as a book, we can look back at the book and we see how certain things worked out in Daniel's life. We see his trust and faith in God and his commitment to serving God that landed him in the den of lions and how God protected and preserved him there. And we see the friends of Daniel committed to serving God, most of all, landing them in the fiery furnace and how God preserved them and cared for them. We can look back on the book of Daniel and see how things worked out in the wider world of Daniel's life, the rise and fall of Babylon, the people of God going into exile and then being released from exile to go back and continue the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. We can look back and see how things worked out in the history of the ancient Middle East. Really, all the way up until the time of Jesus, Daniel offers us helpful details regarding That history, even before it happened, we can look back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and we can look and see how Daniel promised that these things would be and how they came to fruition. And we can look forward with Daniel and all the present saints to the end of time when Christ comes again, when he consummates his kingdom. So when we study the brutal and sometimes bloody history of our world, Daniel gives us a lens through which to view it. He helps us to rightly understand why things are happening the way that they are. Not only does Daniel provide a lens for us to look back at at the world and the way things have happened, he gives us a lens so that we can look forward and we can see the future of our world. And we have a proper biblical lens through which to view it. Sometimes hearing the daily news or reading the daily news is like opening the book of Daniel or any of the Old Testament prophets. Now, it's true. I've alluded to it already. Some, most of Daniel, is difficult for us to get our heads around. But if we approach it and we're humble enough to leave aside those things that we're unsure of, There's a lot that we can be sure of based on what Daniel has told us here in this book. God is in complete control of all human history, every single bit of it. We cannot walk away from Daniel without being convinced that God is in complete control. 
God is sovereign over his people. Even when they are being disciplined for disobedience, God is sovereign and in complete control. Empires will rise and empires will fall according to God's perfect will. God rewards and keeps the faithful even unto and especially into and through death. Daniel gives us help in coming to grips with these realities that we might bank all of our hope on the fact that God does not overlook the sins of individuals or of nations. There will be a reckoning that the evil that's happening all around us constantly that has happened throughout our lives for some of you longer than others, some of us longer than others. I'll put myself in the camp. There will be a reckoning. We can ask the question all day long, but why? But how do they get away with it? But why is there no reckoning? Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And if you're on the side of those who are causing chaos for God's people, or you're on the side of one who is refusing to bow the knee to Christ, there will be a reckoning. God does not overlook sins of individuals or institutions or nations. Jesus is the great king whose kingdom has burst into our world like beams of light in the darkness. And one day the curtain will be pulled back and we'll see him as he truly is and we will worship him forever. Daniel has convinced us of this. But not only that, he's convinced us that until that time there's a spiritual war being fought in the heavenly realms. And though the war goes on, the battle is actually over. We are still experiencing, however, the death throes of a defeated evil empire. And lastly, Daniel helps us come to grips with the reality that there will be one who is coming, an antichrist will come at some point near the end of human history and wreak havoc on God's people. But Daniel also makes abundantly clear that this Antichrist's brutal reign will be short and Christ will return to judge the world and reign with his people. So in in the briefest, most concise synopsis possible, here's what Daniel's saying. Before the end of time as we know it, it's going to get really bad. And after that, it's going to be really good forever. Okay? If, you can li- if we can live there and come to grips with that simple, brief, concise statement, it will help us as we adjust the lens of our lives in looking around and seeing the difficulties in our world. If you notice there in the bulletin, I titled this morning, Distressed and Delivered. And when I say this morning, I'm still checking myself, thinking, is it morning or is it afternoon? So, Distressed and delivered. Taken right from verse 1. Look with me to verse 1. At that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress. There it is. Such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. There's deliverance. This is the story of the believer's life, distressed in this world and delivered from it. 
And we, we live with those two realities. If we continue just thinking about the larger theme for now, verses 1 through 4, I just have two points, splitting the passage into two sections. Verses 1 through 4, division, which is clearly stated in verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life on the one hand, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There's the division that is coming, that will happen. And then verses 5 through 13. Point number one is division. Point number two is do your thing. Taken from verse 9 and verse 13 specifically says, go your way, Daniel, in verse 9. And then verse 13, as for you, go your way to the end. So there will be division until that division happens, do your thing. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12 are a continuation from chapter 11. If you remember that long chapter that we looked at last week, it is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, coming to Daniel, giving him a vision about the things to come. And these first four verses are the end of that vision. And there's someone else other than Jesus who is there. Once Daniel comes back to in verse 5, we will see that. But Jesus is telling us about the archangel Michael. Michael the archangel is described elsewhere in the Bible, not just here in Daniel, but also in Jude and in Revelation. And each time we see him described as a warrior angel who engages in spiritual combat. He's an archangel. That is, he's an angel of the highest rank. Now, most angels in the scriptures are portrayed as messengers, what we might call mere messengers. But Michael is described in these three books, Daniel, Jude, and Revelation, as a contending, fighting angel, standing against evil spirits and principalities. And those really are the only two pictures that we have of angels in the Bible. They are messengers or warriors. They are never chubby cherubs. I'm not sure who created that. Maybe Hallmark did. We can blame them for lots of stuff. But it would help us a lot if we can get those images out of our mind. Michael, the archangel, is a warrior who contends and fights and stands against evil spirits and principalities. Michael is an angel with rank. So if there's rank within the angels, that helps us realize there's authority within them and Michael, being an archangel, would have folks under him, not folks, but angels, you understand the terminology, but he recognizes that he is under the authority of Christ and of God. In fact, angels are clearly understood to be under submission So much so that they're used as an example and a picture of a wife's submission to her husband in 1 Corinthians 11.10. Because of the angels. Which is helpful when we take into consideration the strength and the might and the warrior nature of Michael the archangel 
when we recognize that he is in submission to God. It it makes submission all the more beautiful and intriguing. That if the submission of angels and archangels at that is an argument for a woman's submission, we can see that submission from a wife to a husband is never meant to take away strength or purpose or value. Jesus tells Daniel that Michael is the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Chapter 12, verse 1. Do you know who Daniel's people are? They're God's people. That's what Jesus is saying to Daniel. Daniel, not only am I watching over you, not only will I never leave you or forsake you, the archangel Michael, who is a warrior, who is strong, who contends for the faith, I'm sending them to guard and to protect you and my people. God has set and does set his holy angels over his people for their protection. Now, it's unfortunate that this has been watered down, if you will, to this concept of a guardian angel floating around like a fat cherub, chubby cherub, in the sky on a cloud somewhere. That's not the idea of a guardian angel. But it is the idea of a warrior that God has sent in the spiritual realm to protect his people. And I think we'll continue to see the reality of that here in this passage. Jesus continues in verse 2, speaking to Daniel. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt or abhorrence. Here's what Jesus is saying to Daniel and thus to us. Human history is not pointless. It is moving. All human history is moving towards a final conclusion. Every single person, every individual person on our planet is moving toward that same conclusion too. And the end is coming. The end of all things will come. And at the end of all things, as we know it, all things will be made new. And this is where, if we go back to the passage in Romans that we started with, God is using these prophets to encourage his people then and now. Yes, the end will come. Yes, it will be difficult and dark. But there is a light shining and the veil will be rent and pulled back. The curtain will be torn away and the brightness of God's glory will shine forever and ever. But before the regeneration of the world and our reign with God in glory, there will be a great judgment. There will be what Jesus calls here a full and final division. There will be a separation You can see the separation happening here in verse 2. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There is a full and final division coming. The resurrection will be a time when this division happens, when separation will happen. The sheep will be divided from the goats. The wheat will be separated from the tares. The children of God will be set apart from the children of the devil. And there will only be two categories. There's no neutrality in this. There's no neutrality when it comes to the things of God. It's either eternal glory or eternal hell. The world will not be separated into other kinds of or types of categories at the end of the age. We won't be separated into nations or languages or people groups or genders. 
We will fall into one of two categories and two categories only, everlasting life and everlasting contempt or abhorrence. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as Jesus says here to Daniel, and those who will suffer disgrace and contempt. That's it. Those who have acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, repented from their sins and trusted in him alone, and those who have refused to bow the knee to him. Which side will you be on when that final division comes? When this final separation happens, which category do you find yourself in? Light and life? Or disgrace and contempt. Many of those will awake to everlasting life. The way that Jesus says it in verse 1. Everyone who is found written in the book will have everlasting life. Here's the thing about that book. We cannot write our own names in it. It's not just passed around and we sign up when we get ready. We can't buy our way onto the list. We can't be good enough or religious enough or holy enough. The only way we can be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from our sins. We must confess our sinful rebellion against our holy creator. We must throw ourselves onto the mercy of Jesus, believing, as we just sang earlier, that his mercy is more. It's true that our sins when we are aware of them, whether we're aware of them or not, but it's more difficult for us to fathom the reality of this when we are aware that how high they mount before a holy God. But how helpful is it to remember that his mercy is more? We must beg him for his cleansing blood to cover our sins. And you know what? He will. He's promised. To receive everyone who comes to him. He will turn away none. He doesn't leave any hanging on. But he receives all who come in repentance and faith. He promises to immediately forgive our sins. And to write our names in the book with his own indelible blood. Doesn't even stop there. He then gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit as the sign and seal that the deal is done. And as a result of that work being accomplished for us and in us, it begins to be being evidenced through us, and we begin producing fruit in keeping with real repentance. And we see the world with new eyes. And the Bible becomes more alive to our souls. And though we will not then look forward to death, death will no longer hold an unhealthy fear over us. And all of this because of God's great love for us, because of his mercy and his forgiveness and his promises. Listen to the way that Jesus says it in John 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have every pardon, eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. 
This means not only the Jews, but it certainly includes all the Jews that believe. And every nation where a man or woman or boy or girl would be represented there, the church of Jesus Christ will be present, written in the book. This is what happens when a soul is saved and snatched from the clutches of this world and Satan. The name is written in God's book of life. So we ought to be sure that our name is written there. Because if it's not, and this is why it matters, because if it's not, you will be denied entry. Denied entry into glory and everlasting life. There's no backdoor entrance into heaven. There's no under-the-table deal that will allow you in. But the great hope and encouragement is that once your name is in the book, it stays there forever. It cannot, it will not ever be erased. What God does as an eternal, infinite God, he does forever and ever. Whatever life throws at us, our salvation cannot be taken for us. We can certainly lose it all in this life, but we cannot lose our security in Jesus. Note what we learn about the end of the age to come in these opening four verses, which is the end of the vision from Jesus to Daniel. It will be a time of trouble that will be unmatched in history. Verse 1, a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Daniel 12 is talking about the end of the world. There's going to come a time whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not, when literally hell will be unleashed on earth. The hounds of hell will be unleashed on the people of God. Now, it's not hard to believe that something like that would happen. The difficulty is believing that it will be so much worse than anything that's happened before because God's people have suffered so much under Pharaoh in Egypt at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and others in Babylon and later the Romans. Or what if we talk about Hitler's 30 million that he killed, or Stalin's 40 million, or Chairman Mao's 80 million? What Jesus says here is that those events that will come will seem like a preschool birthday party in comparison. Matthew 24 that Luke read for us earlier, Jesus is speaking there about the upcoming destruction of the temple that happened in A.D. 70, and he's also pointing like chapter 11 was, not just to that, but through that to the end of the age. Again, verses 21 and 22 of Matthew 24, For then there will be a great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So it won't last forever. But it will happen And what Daniel is writing to us, the reason he is recording this, the reason God has preserved it for us, is to help us in the midst of the difficulties that we face, whether the really difficult times in the end or just the difficulties that we face day to day now, he is writing to encourage us to keep the faith, to keep on doing what we do. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. There are far worse things in this life than death for the Christian. 
like denying Jesus as Lord or walking away from the faith even though you know it to be true or not persevering to the end or causing others to sin or taking the Lord's name in vain or persecuting Christians in any way or denying the presence of sin in your life and your need to repent. All these carry the sentence of spiritual death and that punishment is eternal torment and hell. Daniel is writing to us, recording the words of Jesus, that we might be encouraged to keep on seeking to please God, following him. And Jesus gives Daniel explicit instructions right at the very end of the vision in verse 4. Conceal these words, seal it up in the book until the end of time. So here it is, Daniel. After everything, bring it to a close, but keep it handy and preserve it for future generations. And here we are. A future generation opening it up because Daniel obeyed what Jesus told him to do and we are seeking to benefit from it. Jesus says there in verse 4, many will go, towards the end of time, many will go back and forth. We live unquestionably in a day of people going back and forth. The picture is people looking everywhere, here and there and everywhere for salvation In anyone, anything but Jesus. The prophet Amos said it this way. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. There is no meaning, no hope, and no life to be found anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. No other religion, no other philosophical belief, no other ideology can save us from our sins. Only Christ and him alone. That's point number one, division. Point number two has a lot more verses, but I think it's probably shorter. Do your thing, Jesus says to Daniel. What begins in verse six, Daniel, now he's not just watching, but he is speaking to those who have been there in the vision and and hearing them he hears one of the men that now appears. So there's two men on each side of the river. Jesus is in the middle on top of the water. One asks, how long will it be to the end of these wonders? We've looked at this before in Daniel. How long? When is it going to happen? When does the end come? Jews have obsessed about it all throughout history up until Jesus' birth. And even still, it was one of the big questions that Jesus' disciples had in Matthew 24, 3. Again, we heard it read earlier. Tell us, when will these things happen? They asked Jesus. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Here, Jesus, the man dressed in linen in verse 7, answers the question. This is how long it will be. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people. In other words, God's people will not escape harm in the end. Not even leading up to the end of the age. On the contrary, they will face even more hostility and more opposition and murderous persecution than any generation before them. And this Jesus here in verse 7 Daniel records that he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever. And there's significance here that's worth pointing out. Normally, in the Old Testament, only one hand was required to swear an oath, and not just throughout the Old Testament, but even in ancient Middle Eastern culture. But here we have two. Not only that, the person, Jesus, swears by him who lives forever. 
So the two hands are raised to make a solemn, binding, life-and-death oath, an unbreakable oath. And then we have Jesus swearing on himself. And he says, this is how long? A time, time, and half a times. And if you were here when we looked at Daniel chapter 7, that weird phrase jogs our memory. And we remember that it's difficult to say exactly what it's referring to. All sorts of figures for this phrase can be found. Some say it's a number of months and decades and millennia. You could go on and on. It's not, making to be, it's not meant to be taken immediate but distant future. And when it happens, you may remember that the point is it's going to go on for a while. It's going to seem like it's going on forever, and then there'll be an abrupt ending. That's the point that's being made. I mean, here we are 2,500 plus years after the words were spoken, and what Jesus was promising still has not happened which is helpful for us to understand that God is not on our timetable. A thousand years in his sight or like yesterday when it passes by or like a watch in the night. Jesus raises both hands, signifying an unchanging truth that the end will come when his people have been shattered. Think that through. When will it end, Jesus? As soon as they finish shattering my people. When was the last time you heard someone say, God is going to bless you? Right after he breaks and shatters you. Life's not going to get much better than this. Or, in fact, it's going to get worse before I come again. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. And it's true, but it's not meant to create a hopelessness or a discouragement. Just, just the opposite, actually. It's meant to instill eyes of faith in order that we might see the end and live for the end rather than being all caught up in the difficulties along the way. This is one of the problems that God's people have faced throughout history. False prophets and deceivers trying to tickle our ears and tell us how great our lives are going to be. The Bible knows nothing of that. They will be eventually, but not here and now. Not that we don't enjoy life. God intends us to have Lives that are full of joy, but they will not be absent from difficulty because of sin within and sin without that we're constantly being badgered by and having to deal with. Daniel says, as a result of hearing the question asked and the answer offered, verse 8, as for me, I heard, but I could not understand. Basically, he's saying, I hear what you're saying. I'm at a loss. I just don't know. He admits that he cannot process what he's hearing. Listen, he's an expert at interpreting dreams and visions. And his head is spinning at what he's hearing and seeing. This is why whatever position we hold, with regard to the end of time especially, let's hold it lightly. Let's hold really firmly to the things that are clear. And really humbly to the more difficult things that are not so clear. Regardless of all the ways that we could disagree about this text, we can agree on one thing. Sooner or later, God is going to intervene in human history and he's going to bring the whole world to an end. And it will be in his perfect time. Everything. At this point, everything is going according to plan. And everything is right on time. 
What will be the outcome of these events, Daniel says, after saying he doesn't understand? What will be the outcome? And here's where God responds with the title of this point. Go your way, Daniel. Daniel, don't worry about all of the obscure details. Do your thing. Trust me, Daniel, while not understanding everything. Daniel, worry more about walking with God today than what may or may not happen tomorrow or whatever time in the future that, is, that the Lord decides to consummate his kingdom in return. Don't worry about all those things. Worry about doing what God has commanded you to do. And in verses 11 and 12, those look fun, huh? The only thing commentators agree on concerning verse 11 is that they all disagree and everyone else is wrong. Here's what we can take away from it. The final Antichrist's days, the coming Antichrist, the final one, when those days begin, they will be numbered. They are numbered already. Here's what Daniel understands, is meant to understand, and what we're meant to understand. It will be a reign of absolute terror, but it will be a limited reign. There are boundaries. There's a time limit that God has put on it. What else can we take away? We can take away this. The Lord has everything in his hands. Nothing will happen that he has not ordained and allowed and permitted. We can trust him. Everything that happens in this world is by divine appointment. That's not easy for us to nod in agreement at. But life becomes easier the more we fight to believe that God is in absolute, complete control of all things. And he only and always does what is right and best for his children. Verse 12, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains basically for 45 more days. Again, here's the takeaway. When that time comes, if it comes in your lifetime, hang on just a little bit longer. Persevere a little bit longer. The end is coming. The call to the believer, to the Christian here, is to push on, to persevere. We who are still in the race must encourage one another and help one another along. We must keep reminding ourselves and one another, it may be bad, but it'll soon be over. It is better, far better, to stumble exhausted into heaven than energetically leaping into hell. But as for you, Daniel, in conclusion, verse 13, as for you, again, go your way to the end. For your whole life, you just keep doing what you do, Daniel. And to us, we, we ought to hear God saying this morning, go your way all the way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and you will rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Keep going. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness pining for their old lives back in Egypt. There are no prizes if you only run nine miles in a ten-mile race. 
you get a disqualification, not a participation trophy. As the church, we must spur one another on to love and good deeds. We must support the weak and the frail. We must comfort the mourners. We must enjoy the brief glimpses of light when hope is brighter. We must keep putting one spiritual foot in front of the other. Jesus says to all those who are his, get up. Keep going. It won't be long now. Your prize is just around the corner. Keep the faith. I am with you even to the very end of the age. Yes, you'll be distressed. Back to the very beginning in the title. But all those who are distressed who belong to me will be delivered in the end. Not from the terror of persecution, but from the far greater terror of eternal damnation. Do not rejoice in this, Jesus said, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. There's a spiritual war being fought over the hearts and souls of mankind. Michael the archangel is a strong angelic prince who protects God's people and submissively serves God by doing battle against Satan. The devil can do his worst. But he's just not strong enough to conquer heaven's forces. Listen to Revelation 12. There's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And the great dragon was thrown down. That's what's coming. It's been promised. It's guaranteed. So we should remember this. That the whole world and all the hounds of hell may oppose us. But the entire angelic world stands with Jesus for us. That's God's promise in Psalm 91, 11, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Or Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Or Hebrews 1, 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Or backing way up to Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. What a great example of God showing how he uses his angels to protect us. The Lord was promising the Israelites that they would be guided by an angel to the promised land. The Israelites were protected during their journey through the wilderness because they trusted in God and his promises. All of these verses serve as reminders that God's angels will always watch over us. There's there's so much that we don't understand about the heavenly realm. And it's quite possible I've raised more questions than I've answered this morning. We do not realize how many times God has protected us in our lives. The dangers that he has kept us from. The number of times angels have have watched out for us, guarded us, and guided us. These truths serve as more reasons for us to revel in God's everlasting goodness towards us. May we trust him for that. Recognizing that, yes, he has saved us. He sent his son that we might turn from our sins and trust in him. But he's also guaranteed to protect us to the very end in this life. And has secured an eternal glory for us in the next. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you again for your word. And we do believe what it says that you have 
given it to us for instruction and for encouragement and for hope. God, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, cause it to instill hope in us. That it would grant life to those who know you not. That it would grant furtherance in maturation and Christ-likeness in those who belong to you. God, we thank you for the promises of your word that they are yes and amen in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. God, we thank you that you have preserved us until now and that we are completely unaware. And for all the times and ways that we're unaware of your protection, we give you thanks and we praise your name. God, help us to be more in tune with the reality of who you are, especially for us and what you are doing constantly to to protect us and to guide us and to help us. Hear us, we ask, and be our ever-present help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.